If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hi, this is Juan Pablo Montoya, and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hi, everyone. It's time for another episode of Beyond the Grid, presented by Bose QuietComfort 35.2 wireless headphones. I'm Tom Clarkson, and I'm delighted to welcome you along for another one-on-one conversation with an F1 legend. Now... Do you remember a time when F1 drivers didn't communicate via social media because there wasn't any and they did all their talking on the track? Well, my guest this week is a driver who epitomized that no frills mentality. He was both aggressive and unpredictable, super quick and super spectacular, something that made his rivals wary of him and the fans love him. I'm talking about the unforgettable Juan Pablo Montoya. Juan Pablo was one of the first racing drivers I ever met when we were both cutting our teeth in the junior formulas of motorsport in the mid-90s. We climbed the racing ladder in parallel, him as a driver, me as a journalist, and our paths only split when he went to race in America with Chip Ganassi in 99. Juan Pablo graduated to F1 in 2001 when he made his debut in Melbourne alongside other debutants Kimi Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso. He was in a Williams alongside Ralph Schumacher, Michael's brother, and he left a mark on the sport almost immediately and would continue to do so for the next six years. We caught up at this year's season finale in Abu Dhabi where Juan Pablo was holidaying with his wife Connie and JPM didn't disappoint. He remains as opinionated as ever, and he shares a lot of anecdotes that I'd never heard before. So get ready for forthright views on everyone from former McLaren boss Ron Dennis to Williams engineering guru Patrick Head and more. I hope you enjoy it. Juan Pablo, thank you for joining us on Beyond the Grid. Great to see you. Um, Where to start? 94 Grand Prix starts for you, seven wins, 13 poles. Wasn't the longest Formula One career. How do you reflect on that? Oh, it was good. It was, I mean, it wasn't short. And, uh, I mean, it could have been a lot longer if I wanted to, but I didn't. Honestly, it was, I mean, if I look back at everything, I remember like my first test in Jerez, uh, struggling to try to keep up with Ralph. It was hard work. I remember it was, it was really, really quick. And every time I got closer, he moved up the bar and he kept moving up the bar and it was like, oh, oh my God. So when you finally, you know, managed to get to Malaysia and have good race pace and like be competitive and, oh, okay, now we're getting somewhere. You know, we remember we did seven days of testing in Kalami and at the end of the test, I was getting closer, but I was never there. Are we talking, we're on the eve of the 2001 season, just before your debut. Yeah. And you weren't there. What? You weren't there. You were saying, I it thought was, you... No, I wasn't. No, nowhere near. Remember, you know, we got to, you know, Melbourne, and Melbourne wasn't easy. It's not an easy track. It looks like an easy track, but, you know, it, it was tough. Well, look, let's, let's just talk bigger picture, first of all. Now, you've driven and won in pretty much everything, Formula One, IndyCar, NASCAR. 
How do the F1 cars compare to everything else that you've driven? So um, I would say probably the best cars that I've driven are the, uh, yeah, I mean, probably the, the F1 cars, then probably the IndyCar from 99, 2000, and then uh, probably what I'm driving now. Okay, you're doing sports cars now, right? Aren't you? Yeah, but, I'm driving the Acura Atmos But in what, what was so exciting about the cars? We're talking 2001 through to 2006. Well, how much the car weighs now? Now they're 734. I don't know, when I raced, we were 600 with driver, so 130 kilos lighter. And normally every 10 kilos used to be about three or four tenths a lap. And I think probably the power is probably pretty close now. We had over 900 horsepower back then. And we, you know, I mean, we so had it was no the batteries. nimbleness, it was the lightness of the car. Right? Oh yeah, it's, you know, we had groove tires, we had a third of the tire they have today. I mean, if we had these tires back, you know, this with the tires back then, full slick tires, we would have gone, you know what I mean? We would have ripped our heads off. So describe what it was like on a qualifying. Which was the best car you drove, actually? Probably 03. 04 was really good as well. 03 and 04 Williams were the best cars. Describe a qualifying lap in one of those cars. It was, the best experience for me qualifying is when it used to be the four laps. They call it 12 laps, but it's really four laps. You count the outlaps and inlaps. Mm. And um, so I remember your first run, you wanted to be tried to match what you did in practice when you, when you were good. Like the beginning, my first run would be half a second of what I could run in practice. And then the second one would be close to matching what I did in practice. And then the next one would be a couple of times quicker. And by the last one, I pushed and I'm a second off the pace. <laughs> it was like that. It was painful. So at the end, if you could match or beat what you ran in practice in the first run, then you're in good shape. Because now the next run, if you did a good job, that'll be pretty close to what you could achieve. And by then, you know, if you had a car to be on pole, if that second run you nailed, you'd be, if you get a, the rest of the qualifying run, you're P3, P4. So you're good. So, you know, I mean, from there on, it was just a bonus. So if you could go and nail the next lap, you could kind of unplug yourself and do all the stupid things you could do. And if they came together, you did a mega lap. And was it qualifying that really floated oh, you about? You yeah, it. yeah. That was, I mean, it was unbelievable. Nothing drove. Like when they, you took that fuel out of the car, it just came to life. Like there was nothing else in this world. Honestly, it's like, the acceleration, the bring, the cornering is just anywhere where you waited, there was free lap time. Like anywhere where you're not full brake pressure or full throttle, you're not going fast enough. And in any high speed corner, the car didn't move, you're not going fast enough. And that was, the, you know, that's the way I, that was my approach. Like I'm, one of the best ones was Magni Coeur for me. And he was like, like I would go out and then Michael go out and go quicker, and I would go out quicker, and you know what I mean? It's like, and the bar, you know, it's like every run is three or four tenths quicker. And it's like, how the hell are we doing this? How, how annoying was it for you to be coming into Formula One when Ferrari were just hitting their stride? Because Williams, BMW were a good team. We were a good team, yeah. We were, we were like what Red Bull is today. But you were up against the might of Ferrari when they were probably the best they've ever been. How frustrating was that? Not frustrating. It's just the timing. You know what I mean? It's like, 
is I left from you know I left McLaren from one in a bad time. You know what I mean? If I if I would have stayed an extra year, probably being world champion. But if some buts don't count, you know what I mean? For me, I didn't want to stay at McLaren, and I knew they were going to be good, but I didn't want to be part of it at the time. So you know what I mean? I, for myself, I was I think 31. She's around 32, and I'm thinking, you know, everybody stops around 35. I don't want to go and run for three years in a mid-pack team. It just. And you thought, so you thought McLaren in 2006 was becoming a, a mid-pack yeah, team? Yeah, I mean, they were just lacking power. Hmm. Um, because mechanically, the car, you know, we did a lot of suspension changes. I did a lot of work on that. And the car was actually driving really good when I left. It just had no power. Well, look, while we're talking about then, let's continue talking about that. Because 2005, you joined McLaren. Yeah. How quickly did things go downhill with that team? Because um, I think the, the hard thing in McLaren was, and I, I wasn't public about it, how, how much I struggled driving that car. How much I hated the car. The 2.5 car? Yeah. Oh, my God. I just couldn't drive it. I remember first time I drove the McLaren, I did an installation lap. And I came in and I told the guys, I think there's something broken in the car. So what do you mean? I said, yeah, like when I steer, the, the way it moves, it's like something's broken on the back. And they looked at, you know, they looked at it for an hour and everything was fine and just the way the car drove. And it was like that. But but you won races in that car. Yeah, I, I told people. It wasn't all bad. If, 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 Willie, if we could have the balance of the Williams on that car, I mean you would win by two laps. Because it's like you're lapping a second lap quicker than the Williams when I went to McLaren. And the thing drove like when you would qualify 10th in the Williams. Like when you were nailed the Williams at the end, you could be, you know, P3, P4, P2, maybe on pole, you know what I mean? But it was difficult. And this thing drove terrible and you're winning races. It's like, how did that happen? Yeah. So, and I never really, you know what I mean? I was very quiet about how bad the... You know, I mean, for me, it was very disrespectful to go and say, you know, the car drives like shit. Mm. You know, I mean, I should have gone and say, you know, I really struggle with this car and I never did publicly. Mm. How did you get on with Kimmy? Oh, it was okay. He just, he was just quiet. You know, I mean, it, it's, it, it was, you know, I mean, it was quiet and he was McLaren's, you know, runs boy. Did you feel that? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, a little bit, yeah. It's what it is, you know what I mean? And you, I expected that. But you were Chuck, you were Ron's golden boy. He signed you, what, 18 months ahead yeah, of time? Yeah, yeah. And, and yet you still felt when you arrived that Kimmy no, was the No, at the beginning, guy. no. At the beginning, no. Through, you know what I mean? As the time went on, it just, uh, we had a lot of issues there. You know what I mean? But it's what it is. I guess Ron has and had favorites, didn't he? I mean, along, yeah, yeah, Alonso, yeah, I, mean, I think, was, went through was, the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, Ron was really nice to me. His family was really nice to me. Everything, you know, I mean, everybody my client were great to me. And, you know, I still see the guys here. And, you know, it's good to see the guys and everything. And, But, you know, it, it was tough. You know, I mean, it was, you know, it was a lot of internal drama. Well, so, so you left mid-season 2-6. And I remember being baffled by that decision at well, the time. Well, I didn't leave. They asked me to. What, just, what, what actually happened? Can you tell the story no, now? No, I, I mean, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't sure what was going to happen and where I was going to be next year. And the, the NASCAR thing came up. And it was a five-year deal. I thought, oh, why not? You know what I mean? It's 
go live in America where I want to live. You know, I mean, you look at people racing NASCAR until like freaking 45. I can extend my career. I, lo I just love racing and, and I can live in the States. But to leave mid-season? No, when I did that, you know, I was going to go to the next race and Ron said, your mind is somewhere else, you know. Uh, you know, we don't want you to continue. I'm like, okay. Okay, all right. But, JPM, did you ever regret... Leaving? Not, yeah, leaving no. Formula One. Like, at all. No, not really, no. Did anyone try and lure you back? Um, Bernie called me once. Uh, and uh, he said, hey, you know what I mean? You know, we want, you know, why are you leaving? You know, we want you back, blah, blah, blah. I said, hey, I signed a five-year deal. I'm sorry. I said, oh, we can get you. I said, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the only place I would go is Ferrari and with Michael there. I don't want to be a number two. And when, when Michael left? Was yeah, there by ever then, a... no, no, no. By then, no, it's just, I don't know, no. Okay. So look, let's wind the clock back and just tell us how the racing thing happened in your family. Because I think your dad raced carts, right? Yeah, my dad raced go-karts. And, and you had an uncle... That raced, uh, yeah. At Le Mans? Race, yeah, raced Le Mans and everything. So it was in the genes. Yeah, yeah. Just can you tell us, how, how did you get started in racing? So I started go-karts in Colombia. Um, I went to two world championships of go-karts. In the first one, I made the final and everything. It was, it was really, really good. Um, big shunt in the final. Um, the second one, we struggle. Then I moved to cars, end of 92. Can I say, so how many kids were there in Colombia at the time? Racing? Racing. Was it a big thing? Or? 15, 10, 10, 15 kids. So it wasn't a big thing. So while all your mates were playing football or whatever it was, you I were was, down yeah, the car track? We're karting, yeah. With dad? With dad, yeah. And same thing, you know, we moved. I started cars in Colombia. I mean, if you would see what I drove, you wouldn't even believe the cars I'd driven. Like in Colombia. In Colombia and everywhere, like cars. You know, I mean, the amount of different race cars I've driven. You go what? But this is you aged what? So I started cars in the '92. That will make me 17. Just when I turned 17. My first car race was in. Uh, it's called Chevrolet Sprint. It's like a Suzuki Swift, a 1000 Suzuki Swift. And I was actually, I wasn't even racing full season. A friend of mine, actually Diego Mejia, the, you know, the Colombian Oof. reporter, he was racing and he had a massive shunt and he broke his leg. Uh, and he was only one race left. So he asked me to replace him. And I'd never driven a race car, like raced in you know, our car before. And I did a three-day drive in school with Skip Barber in... California in Sonoma, actually. And how did uh, that go? It was good. Vic Elford was actually my teacher. Cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And um, so I did the, you know, uh, they told me a friend of mine back in the day, you know, he raced those cars. Okay, you want to break here, don't shift here, third gear, second here, and blah, blah, blah. Shift at this speed, and that was it. And um, I, it was by roughly, it was two races, so it was 25 cars. And if you started, you know, first in the first race, you'll start 25th in the second race. And they'll average the points. So I, I actually really lucky I qualified, you know, it was 13. So it was 12 and 13 in the middle. And I went out and won both heats. And it was just easy, was it? Yeah, it was. It was, I had a really good car as well, but it was, 
I remember I was passing a guy that I started, you know, one of the guys I started go-karts with. And we come to him straight, I go second, third, and I get it running him and I pull next to him. And I'm looking at him and he's so focused and I'm like, what the hell is he focused on? And we're just going down the street here. And <laughs> I remember that. That's one of the things that I always flash in mind. And, and I won that and then I, they brought the Van Diemen's, like the 2000 Van Diemen's with the little, like the Vauxhall Junior with wings to yep. Colombia with no power. They had, at sea level, had 120 horsepower. So in Colombia, they were probably 95 horsepower. Of course, because how high is Bogota and where uh, 2,600 meters. Yeah, yeah. So you lose like 20, 30% yeah. of the power. Yeah. <laughs> it's gutless. Gutless, completely gutless. And, and we raced that. You know, we did that for, for a season, won a bunch of races. Um, I was on pole my first race. I remember I was like nowhere near where I needed to be on the limit and I still was on pole. I'm like, okay. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now. But I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? Get pet essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fee. Apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires goal for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Was it quite difficult to gauge how good you were at this point? Well, I, the problem is I never looked at me like, oh, you're very, very, very good. You're, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that gets in and drives the hell out of it and show you, can show you how good I can go. But I'm not the kind of guy that speaks, oh, I'm just fucking great. You know what I mean? No, I don't do that. JPM, you then make the decision to come to Europe. And I think you only make that decision if you think you've got a future as a racer. Well, driver. my dad did. Dad made that decision. Yeah, yeah. I, I raced, I moved to Barbersa for a year. And at the same time, I did some races in Mexico. And um, then we went to, I did a test with Paul Stewart at Silverstone. And in lap three, I went to, what was the name of the back straight? The national, whatever, the national. I was in the national circuit. Yeah. And in the back straight, uh, that left hand there, before there used to be left and then two right-handers. So Brooklands, I think. Yeah, Brooklands. I went to the end of the straight to break in Brooklands, and there was no brake pedal. Ah, what happened next? I went straight into the barrier. I don't know why I moved my foot back when we crashed, and all the pedals and everything crushed. And this is your first ever test for Jackie England. Stewart yes. in England. Yes. Oh, it didn't go and great? The, no, I ran three laps. And the... They realized they moved the brake pedals too close to the edge, the thread, and it broke the thread of the pedal, and the pedal came off. So it's like, because I went to brake, and it's like, throttle, clutch, where's the brake? Throttle, clutch, brake, ooh, where's, there's no brake pedal. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what happened? You didn't hurt yourself? No, nothing. Um, and so then they still hired me. I guess that was pretty cool after the crash, and I didn't mind too much the shunt. So they were okay with that. I remember vividly the first time I met you, you were testing. We're talking Formula Vauxhall, aren't we? Yeah. You were testing at Snetterton in the UK. And 
I'd just been told by a magazine I was working for at the time that that was my championship in 95. And I came up and I met you there and we'd had a bit of a chat. English wasn't as good as it no, is it wasn't. now. No, it wasn't. terrible, but it wasn't as good, yeah. <laughs> and then on the way back to London, I remember stopping at a little chef, which is like a roadside cafe. Yeah. And uh, I was just grabbing something to eat on the way down and you were there and you were on your own. Yeah. And I just remember being struck and we had a chat and I just, but I remember being struck how difficult it must have been to not really be able to speak the language, be on your own, aged 1920. Yeah, in a, how tough was it? In a Ford Fiesta from <laughs> 1972. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That you had a, I had a bar in the back <laughs> exactly. of the, in the back seat. So the starter, when the starter yeah. wouldn't go, you had to hit the starter with the bar <laughs> to get it going. See, I remember that. But but how tough? Did you have some dark moments at all back then? Um, no, I think you know when I had dark in '97. It was the hardest year when I was in Austria with with Dr. Marco. Yeah. Why? Just okay. We'll, we'll come on to that. But 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 when you were in England, yeah, then you were fine. England I mean, was fine. I, was I, it? I yeah. lived. I mean, where Polster was next to it, there was a little houses, and I rented a house there so I could walk to the team. And I would go nearly every day to the team, go to the gym. I live by myself. I lived with my sister for like three months, and we nearly killed each other. So she moved to Bournemouth. Bournemouth, you know. Bournemouth. Bournemouth. There you go. Back, back down south. And I stayed there and I lived in Milton Keynes for the whole year. And then at the end of the year, they asked me to stay another year there. In, in Vauxhall. In Vauxhall. Uh, but I wanted to move to F3, so we left and went to Fortec. And what, there was no room in their F3 team? No, because okay. Ali, who was in F3 there? Oh, Kane, Kane, Johnny. Johnny Kane? Was moving up. And with Ralph Furman. Furman? Ralph, yeah. Ralph Furman. Okay, so they were full. So then you do the F3 thing. Um, did you enjoy the F3 cars? Yeah. Uh, huh. They had a lot of grip, but they were not my style. Like, they were really, they were really twitchy and unpredictable. I hated them. But at the end, I got the hang of it. Mm. Um, what, is, what is your style? I don't know. I like the bigger car. The, the little nimble, you know. Uh, I, I do when, if you give me horsepower, I'll drive better than anybody. So the, the higher bigger, you the higher yeah, you climbed, the, the better, happier the, you were, kind of. Thing. The easier it was for me. I mean, yeah. for me it was the same, but it seemed to be harder for everybody. Yeah. Okay. I think it was probably easier for me than than being an F3. Like when I moved to 3000, I remember my first test mm. in Portugal, and the first new tire run, I was P1 by like three tenths, and I gave up six tenths on the last corner. Like I nearly spawned out of the last corner, and I still went P1. How is it okay? You know what I mean? I can. Yeah. I could throw the car around. It was. It wasn't on rails, so he mm. moved around a lot, and mm. I didn't. You know what I mean? But it was a predictable, not like a nasty, snappy. It just slid, and the more you could slide it, the faster you went. So you raced for Helmut Marco's Formula Three Thousand team in '97. Helmut now, of course, is Red Bull's big boss of motorsport. How did you find him? Um. So Dr. Mar- Dr. Marco really thought there was something completely wrong with me. Um, if you ask him today, he really thinks that. And I remember... Well, what did he think No, 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 I'll tell you it. He okay. even mentions today, in the last race, no, not the last race, two races before the end of the championship, I needed to beat Santa to keep the championship alive. And they put the wrong... I mean, we put a really long... We were on the limiter in fifth gear for a long time, and the next step was really long, and the engineers thought it would pull. 
And every time I went to fifth gear, they just drove away from me. Like I was miles quicker than them. And I just couldn't pass because the, the, the fifth gear was too long. Because back then it was only five gears, sequential five gears. And he said, oh, you were lifting on purpose. He told me that, when was the last spam maybe? And he was, oh, but now, you know, you, you don't teach your drivers to lift on purpose. And he, t- he like, he, he honestly believes today that I, I would, 20, because I was going to Supernova the year after, he thought, like, by then I was going to Supernova, and it wasn't the case. I mean, the Supernova thing happened, and I had no money. It happened because Frank paid, you know, I mean, Frank hired me to be a test driver and paid for it. I had no money. We'll get back to that in a minute, but first... I've got a question about Dr. Marco. Has the man got a sense of humor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised. You can, I don't, promise I, you know, I don't, I kind of tell it how it is. And I'm not afraid of, of, you know I mean, of how hurt anybody's feelings kind of deal. Not in no, a bad way. I enjoy you know? interviewing him, but I just, it's I've okay. never actually sort of seen him laugh. I just wonder, is there a, you know, a gut wrenching laugh? You, you, you should push his buttons. Well, I don't know what buttons to push when it oh, comes. Yeah, yeah. It's not that hard. Okay. So, look, you mentioned then, of course. Uh, so, Marco was interesting. I, he, you know, he had a lot of apartments, you know, in, in Graz, where, where the team was based. And um, he rent me one at the beginning. It was actually nice. Then he needed me. He moved me by the team where the mechanics were, and I didn't mind. I had no money for a car, nothing. I traveled with the team to every race, like in the van and everything. And... Um, it, it was a tough year. It was, that was... That was when you were at your lowest ebb in Europe. No, I was good. I was winning races. I no, 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 but just in terms of your homesick oh. and, and... No, I, I'm not a homesick kind of guy. Never been. Right. But it was like, I had no car. Like, I went around town in rollerblades because I had no money for a car or... Yeah, I mean, it was... I remember we used to go to Italy and when we tested in Italy, it was great because I would go to a supermarket and buy a heap lot of those you know, instant risottos that you put water on them. And that's what I ate every day. You know what I mean? It was, Breakfast of champions, right? Yeah, it was, you know what I mean? That's what I had. That was my meals. And, um, but, it, you know, if you crash the car, you had to go and wait until the car was repaired because you had, didn't have a car to go to the hotel. You know what I mean? It's, you look at these kids nowadays, they, they, they need physios, they need psychos, they need, you know what I mean? 10 people around them to go race and they need to spend an hour warming up to get in the freaking car. Interesting point. So do you think what you went through in 97 in particular actually made you a better... Made me appreciate what I was doing. Appreciate the success later on and the... Not only the success, but it makes you appreciate how hard you work for something. You know what I mean? And you, you learn to, when you have an opportunity, you learn to make the most out of it. Mm. And that's where I was good at, you know what I mean? I did that Williams test at the end of that year. So end of 97, Frank invites you in Her- and... Yeah, we were in the Jerez. I won Jerez and they invited me to test with... Max Wilson. Max Wilson, yeah. that he had the Petrobras sponsorship. Uh, Ayari and Minassian. How did the test go? Um, it was good. I mean, I was P2 overall. You mean they were going to the, to the narrow cars. So, and the group tires, but some people were still testing the, you know, Fisichella was quick, as I remember I was P2 in, in the Williams. We did a, a low field run at the end. We did 20 laps on each day. And honestly, 
like they were going to put tires the second day and I told them, you give me about 20 minutes because my neck, I can't hold my neck. Uh, I tried patting and it was, it would, because I moved my head, it would get in the way. So um, I remember I got to the last corner. There used to be proper corners in Barcelona, last two corners. And um, I went flat through the one before and I got into the last corner. And I kind of, I knew my head wouldn't even take it. So I leaned my head over, like leaned my head out, turned in, got on the gas. When I got on the gas, my head rotated. And I couldn't even, like I held the wheel until I saw the curb here on the side. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it was like that. I could, there was nowhere near. And I trained that neck. I could remember the girlfriend at the time, I could, you know, she would be sitting in the bed and I could exercise the neck and move the bed and everything. And those cars had way too much grip. They were phenomenal, weren't they? But but so but obviously Frank liked what he saw. Well, I mean, I was a second quicker than the second guy. He was like one, two, and three seconds quicker. Can you remember your first meeting with Frank? Was he at the test or? No, I met Frank before in the race in Hereth when Villeneuve won the championship, um, and then Johnny Williams was kind of looking after us. And Johnny was, yeah. of course, Frank's son. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then they invited me to a test in Hereth. Because how did you find Frank? How was he with you? Because Good. He, he's always put racing drivers on a pedestal. Was he? No, he was good. He was, we had a good relationship. I'm, I'm not too chatty. I never been too chatty. I just got on with my, you know what I mean? Got on with the job. And, and um, I remember I was pissed when he told me that they signed Sonardi. Because at the end of the year in the test, I could go as quick as the, you know, quick, as quick or quicker than the race drivers. So. So, so how much driving did you get to do during 98? Yeah. yeah, in 98, I did a lot of testing. They went to, you remember, the car was a Veltins car. Did a bunch of testing for them. Uh, I remember the, one of the last tests was Monza, and I was really, really good in Monza. So you thought you were in the running for the race seat in 99? Yeah, I mean, I, was, I could run as quick as the race drivers. Why not? I'm winning the three, I won, you know, I don't know how many races I won, 3,000, a bunch of races. So it's like. How did he break the news to you? No, he told me, hey, we're going to. Um, he called me, I was in Colombia, he called me, hey, we're going to sign Sonardi. And we need you to come and test and help him. So I responded, if he's that good, if he's better than me, why you need me to go? Did you say that? Yes. And what did he say? You need to come and test. I said, I don't want to go and test. And he got pissed at me and said, you have a contract, you need to come. I'm like, okay. So you go to the test with Alex Zanardi, who was IndyCar champion at the time. And he turned up with his IndyCar boss, Chip Ganassi. So what happened next? Yeah, so, so we got to the test and Sonardi, you know, it's really nice. Because Alex is really, really nice. I wasn't too nice. Uh, I was pissed. And uh, I meet Ganassi there with Morris Nunn to see Alex's first test. So I went and did the test. And in the first evening of the test, um, I was still on the contract with Williams. And I said, hey, when you come to the hotel, you give me 15 minutes. I said, yeah. And he came with a contract and said, hey, uh, are you, do you want to race in America? I said, and I, I mean, I watched every freaking Sonari race in IndyCar. And to be in that car, I'm thinking, at that point, I thought I never raced from, like, that point for me is never from a one. Or or wait, be a test driver and never have a job, maybe. Like bully on and like a bunch of people. So I said, fuck it, go to America. <laughs> and you made that decision 
there. at that moment. Yeah, and he said, this is the contract. This is what I'm going to pay you. You can't move, change anything. Just sign. And of course, it was more I money. I said, I have a contract. You know, I need to talk to Frank. I have a contract. I said, no, I already spoke to him. He said, it's okay if you go. So it was kind of like a swap. And it was then. a three-year deal. No, no, for me, at that point, I'll make my career in America. I'm going to drive Sanardi's car that just won the last two championships. And you weren't on a bungee back to Williams. Frank couldn't have you back at any time? or Nothing. Okay. I had a three-year deal. So for me, a three-year deal, everyone's sober. You know what I mean? In my mind, everyone was sober. I did the first year. And then... I think it was the second year Frank went to watch Chicago or maybe the first year. Did you maintain contact with Frank during those that time? Really, a couple of times. You know, Merry Christmas, but you know what I mean? That was it. And he, I was remember I was in Colombia and in a hotel doing some, just getting ready to, I was doing some PR work there. And he called me and said, do you want to race Formula One next year? I'm like... At what stage of... That's 2000, a, are we? Like June, maybe? So you've won the Indy 500 by this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like June, he calls me and says, hey, do you want to race Formula 1? I'm like, I would love to, but I can't because I have a contract with Ganassi. I said, but you want to? He said, yeah, I'll take care of it. Done. I'm racing Formula 1. And when did you get confirmation of that? No, it was done. It wasn't like maybe perhaps... In was, one phone call? Yep. I'll send a contract. And you talk money and everything in he that? He said, this is what I can pay. He said, I don't care. Because I just wanted to raise for more money. What an amazing story. Yeah. yeah. So. You weren't, I remember you're not, you weren't that popular with the Brits, actually, because Jensen Button had just done his first season. And then you came in and he had to go off to Benetton and it all got quite yeah. complicated from that point of view, didn't it? But I've never been a big fan of the British media because of that. And then Coulthard, you know, when I went to McLaren. What about? Oh, replacing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, both British drivers, yeah. British media. There's never <laughs> any love apart from you, I guess. Oh, lots of love. Now, so JPM, you come in and you never look back on your IndyCard career. Was there ever a point in that first season, 2001, where you thought you'd done the wrong thing? Or No, no, no. You know, for me, that's the problem. I don't think about it. I just get on, you know, I make a decision and I get on with the job. That's it. That's why I think when I left from a one wasn't a, wasn't bad, was it? It wasn't. I left fine. Yeah, you know I mean, you know, I remember when we went, you know, Taladega, yeehaw. and and it and it was a, you know, I did enjoy racing NASCAR a lot. The racing itself were were amazing. Were the cars awful to drive and difficult to drive? Yes, but on the big ovals, those things hold ass. So now look, how difficult was it for you to learn, relearn Formula One after driving those big Indy cars? Um, the steering was very small. The steering wheel in the Williams was tiny. And that is probably one of the hardest, the thing that took the most time is how fast reacting the car was in the front. Like if I knew today what I, like, what I knew, like, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like yeah. if, if I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't just ask for a little bit, you know, I had space to put a bigger wheel. I would change the, you know, steering rack for a different one. I would have done a bunch of things that you could do pretty simple, but I never did. I just, it's the car, drive it. 
but it didn't affect your pace. And a lot of people listening to this are going to go, oh my God, all those battles with Michael Schumacher. Your third race into Lagos, you kind of, that's when you arrived in Formula One, I feel. Well, for me, it's funny because after, yeah, I passed Michael and then, you know, Verstappen ran over me. Funny enough. <laughs> you did actually, didn't you? On the one on the rundown to turn four. Yeah. Look, of course, we're talking about Jos Verstappen here, not Max Verstappen. Yeah. But but look, that move on Michael at the restart. Yeah, it was good. I mean, for me, it was a golden opportunity. I came from doing restarts in America, and I can always pass everybody in the restarts. So why would it be different? Did Michael's attitude towards you change after that? No, because we had no relationship before or after. So why? Maybe personally changed, and maybe he thought I was a complete idiot by doing so, or a stupid, crazy Colombian. I don't know. Right. But I personally, didn't, you know, for me it was like everybody told me, asked me if I was devastated when I got back to the pits, and I wasn't, because for me personally, I knew I could win races in Formula One, and I was gonna be. That was the race where, because of where course, that was the race that gave me confidence. I'm not gonna be here. I'm not going to be out of here at the end of the year. I'm not doing, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not doing a Sonati right here. That it was important, you know what I mean? Mm. Anybody in those, you know what I mean? Sonati was there for a year. Jensen was there for a year. You know what I mean? I didn't want to be there for a year. So when that happened, I felt like I had a career in from moment. Hello, me again. I know I've already interrupted once, but I wanted to give you a heads up that we had a small issue with the sound this week, especially in this next short section But what we were talking about was so good, we just couldn't leave it out. You'll see why. Can you describe what it was like then to go wheel to wheel with Michael? Because a lot of times with you, it ended in tears. There was quite a lot of contact. Did he always go too far or just... And I did as well. It was, that's why it was, it was good, you know what I mean? It's like, in Brazil went my way in... We were in Austria, and in Austria, our, the Michelin is then grained really bad. So if we could go through the graining phase, then we would be pretty competitive. And if we could hold him back, then we'd be good. So I was doing everything in my power to hold him back. And uh, I, l- I got to the braking zone, and I locked up the rear brakes. I'm like, and he braked later, I'm okay, I'm, you know, I'm committed here. You've, you know what I mean? I'm, you're coming with me. <laughs> Kind of deal, but it's what it is. You know what I mean? We both ended up wide there and, you know, full drama, but it's it was fun. Did you ever talk about these incidents afterwards? No. We never. It was, you know, it was never a good job. It was never nothing. It was, I think nowadays with the social media and I think it, it's opened up a lot more from one and you see the drivers interact a little more. Like back in the day, it was... It was zero. You even crashed behind the safety car. Yeah, in Monaco. In Monaco, in Monaco I remember that. Yeah, he, he, the pace car. He let the pace car go, and then he accelerated, and I went, and he just stood on the brakes completely. And I got on the brakes, and I was like, when he braked, I braked, and I was coming quicker, and the inside was open, so I went to get next to him, so I wouldn't hit him, and he just turned straight into me, and we just touched. I'm like, okay. No conversation afterwards? No. It would never, you know what I mean? It wasn't like in Brazil, like, oh man, you did good, or, you know, why you drive me off the track, or, you know, it's never, it was never, 
it's it's what it is you know we were it, it's a, it was a different racing you know back in the days i mean at least for me it's all it's always been you know what i mean i grew up with you just gotta beat everybody that's it you know there's no there was no middle ground there was no you know i don't know i grew up with the, with with the racing that it's hard if you like nowadays with the drs you get it within a second you get a draft you pass when we raced there was no drs you get them within a second and you still got another second to go and you still got to figure out how to get a run on him and how you can you know make him you know take advantage of any mistakes so you get a run and when you get a run you're still behind the guy so you gotta dive bomb the guy and hope you can make a corner and you don't take each other out so it was a lot different than than today how did you deal with the the sort of technology in formula one did it frustrate you when sort of the whole i don't know just talk to me about the technology in formula one at the beginning we were very simple the cars we had nothing we had no yeah i mean there was nothing the only thing you could adjust and i didn't even know you could adjust that well was the differential and through the years you start learning but it, the cool thing with it is when traction control came came along and the you know automatic shifting and all that it was very very cool to the, be part of the, all that development you know same thing with the simulators when simulators started when i started with williams they were just starting on the process of creating the simulators. Were you a big fan of simulators? Yeah, I spent a lot, of, we did a lot of development on it. If you, the problem is with the simulator, if you drive it as a game, it's completely useless. If you drive it and you're conscious that it's a race car, and if you're gonna make a mistake, it's gonna hurt, then it's good. When there's, when you take the fear out of the simulator, then it's never gonna relate to the real car. Because mm. in, the, in the real car, yeah, I mean, you could try, yeah, I mean, turn one here flat and, and you know you're going to bounce with the wall. But in the simulator, you could try it and see how far you could make it. So if you do that, then you're completely screwed. Now, tell me something about how hard you worked at Formula 1 because you, you struck me as a guy who oozed natural talent. How hard did you work at it when you were outside the car? A lot. I spent always a lot of, you know, a lot of calls with the engineers. A lot of, you know, I mean, I... The problem is in Formula One at the time the focus was so you went testing and you had do the engine mileage and do tire testing and uh, until we didn't and I had a big I remember with Sam Michael had, had a big argument because I told him I want to go testing it's like well we're going testing I said no 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 let's go to the race car to the race truck and if the car drives like terrible like terrible <laughs> we'll adjust it accordingly. Let's just mechanically make the car better. Okay, send me a plan of what you want to do. I said, I can't create a plan. Because if I do a plan, okay, you know, we're, we need rear stability. Let's do this, 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 and that. And I go to the test and I have understeer. Then what do we do? We don't do the test? Just go to the test and if we have rear stability, you know, go through, you know, try different things to see what works. And different packages and things. And it took him like six months to let me do that. And when we finally did that, we made a huge step, at least on my car. How did you find Patrick Head? <laughs> <laughs> I remember, wasn't there a big scream, screaming like match on the radio? PG-18 or whatever <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's this, it is. This is PG. PG, so yeah. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> no, the opposite. <laughs> ah, okay. 
But I remember pa- Patrick would be the guy. I'm not saying you are blip, but you are. <laughs> but why? Why the run? Because you had a screaming match with him over the radio. Was uh, it Magnico? Well, yeah, or the whole time, right? Yeah, all the time. You know. What about what kind of stuff? Uh, I think the best one. I'd say, I came in and said the car was, you know, poop. It was, it was terrible. And he came in and said, well, you might say the car is poop, but we can't fix poop. So tell us what the car is doing better. Like pissed. He was pissed. He was always pissed off. It's just, he was just a grumpy old man. It was good. He knew a lot. Was he past his peak at the time, do you think? No. He was still on it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he, he was just frustrated. He, I think... It was a difficult relationship with BMW. I think it was always, you know, it was always a lot of tension between the, the two camps. And you think it was, it was crazy because uh, Williams had a, was it Williams had the the com the com, com, compact motorhome, the yes. HP motorhome. Yes. And then the BMW motorhome. And like, I was always on the Williams side. And like my 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 driving chain in my little office was in the Williams one, and Ralph was in the BMW one. And uh, it's like there were two different teams. But what difference does that make? Well, it's tough when you go. I mean, yes, you're trying to work together, but you're always blaming somebody else. You know what I mean? It, it wasn't an easy relationship, and you know we had a lot of success for how difficult it was. Mm. But it, it boiled over things too easy always. Now we've talked about Michael. Um, Ralph was your teammate at Williams. Um, was he any good? Really? Well, I mean, he won races, but how good was he? He was very, 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 very good. I think he was a lot better than people thought. It just... It what be, impressed you about him? His speed. He was just so freaking quick. He was really quick at Imola. He was quick at everywhere. Was he? Okay. He was very quick everywhere. Was he a generous teammate in terms of... <laughs> no, but in terms of sharing data and information? Nothing. No, no. <laughs> Nothing at all. No, it's like, you see, nowadays it's, oh, yes, you got to do this and you got to do that. Back then it's figure it out. Yeah. It's like back then, I'll tell you the truth, like Pantano, and I, I like George Pantano because we do a lot of karting and he's there and everything. I remember he did a test with Williams, I think end of a year, like 03 or something. At Valencia. At Valencia, yeah. And first of all, his head was falling off the cart. Like the car, you could see it. You could see, like he would turn right and the head would go left. And he would make a lot of mistakes. And, you know, you look, you know, you're looking at your data and you don't, and then you pull his data and see all the things he's doing wrong. And instead of helping him, you laugh about it. You did. You were, you were a complete idiot. But that was the culture. Yeah. The culture wasn't, you know, hey, you know, I mean, I think if you approach it this, this way, it's just going to be a lot better. We, that didn't exist. Okay. A couple of guys you raced at the time who are still racing now, just. Um, one of them is Kimi Raikkonen. Yeah. Kimi was, who was better, Ralph Schumacher or Kimi Raikkonen? Um, Both teammates of yours. I think Kimi raced better. Kimi's race pace was really good. And Ralph's, I don't know, I think both were really, really quick. I think the problem with Ralph mentally, I think Kimi, I mean, he partied so much of the time and he was so out of control. He just but did he really party? I don't know, ask him. <laughs> okay, no, it's, I've heard I'm, stories I'm of him. I'm washing my hands on that one. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Did he ever um, invite you? No. Okay. Um, the problem with Ralph is on his A day, like when he was really quick, if you could beat him, if it didn't matter by one thousand of a second, 
you had him. You had him and like mm. he started, you know what I mean? He started doubting everything he did and it just spiraled out of control from there. Who was the best driver you ever raced? I don't know what do you mean. In Formula One. Who was the one where you just went, okay. Well, the problem is you got to say Michael, but apart that Michael no, was good. Tell me what you think. The car was, you know, I mean, it's like Lewis today. You know, Lewis is really good, but that car, I mean, you put about 80% of the people on that grid, they're going to win. And Lewis is really, really good. And Okay, you know, let me so, rephrase the question. Who gave you the, the most satisfaction to beat? Oh, Michael, because he would like, everybody looked at him like he was freaking God. Did you? No. But no, you admired. I just didn't care. You know, I mean, I, I mind my own business. And our goal was to win. And when he was ahead, he was the guy we needed to beat. And you knew like when you were being, you know, our car was good, but it was never as good as theirs. So to beat him, you needed to do a better job than him. It was that simple. What about Fernando Alonso? He'd started winning races in 2000. Yeah, I mean, that Renault was so quick and he did, you know, he used to, well, remember he used to drive really strange. He used to put a bunch of wheel and drive over the top of the tire. It's a very strange style. Very, what, very aggressive turning, is that what you mean? You remember, yeah, he used yeah. to just over, completely mm. push over the front tires and mm. not even, you know what I mean, don't even use the front at all and the car worked the way he did it. Mm. It's funny how you are... You, you you cannot separate the driver and the car in Formula One, can you? That's the impression I'm getting. It, what do you mean? Well, it, when I ask you about Michael Schumacher, you say, yeah, but look at the car he was driving. You even, but what happened with Michael when he came back? Wasn't he just forgot how to drive when he came back to Mercedes? Or the years that Ferrari wasn't good? You know what I mean? I'm good. But if you put me then in a Jordan or in a, I don't know, whatever team, uh, or a Jaguar, you run back there. You put Lewis today, you know what I mean? There is not only two good drivers in this field, you know what I mean? Yes, there are some that you think they're not as good as others, but there's a lot of really good guys here. Uh, and, I mean, did Fernando just forget how to drive and it starts 18th every week because he forgot how to drive? But can you not just so, isolate? So I've got a question. I'll, let's turn it around. Do you think if Fernando was driving the Mercedes and Lewis was driving the McLaren, the results were different? No, but I think I can look at Fernando in isolation and give you an opinion of what I think of him oh, as, a, really as a driver. driver. Yeah, yeah, he's a really good driver. Do you think he's lost anything as he's got older? No, you just become wiser and you just, yeah. you know, when things are bad, you just kind of... So look, is history going to repeat itself? Because I know there is a Montoya Jr. Yeah, who there's is, a little... Who's blazing a bit of a trail, isn't he? Seb? Do yes. we call him Seb or Sebastian? What do you uh, call him? I don't him? care. Sebas. We're going Sebas. Sebas. Yeah. Sebas Montoya. Um, how's he going? How good? Is he better than his dad? It's not that hard. <laughs> you said a second ago, you were good. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't great. Yeah. How, how, seriously, how, how is he going? How good is That's he? That's good. Yeah, so far, it's good. You know I mean? I, it's tough when you're at the dad, but it's, it's good. Like, I mean, uh, in karting, you know, we win a lot of races. We, we, I make his life very miserable. I do make his life very miserable because... Is that a nice thing to do as a dad? Yes. Um, because if you think about it, if you go, you look at anybody, like when we come and race in Europe, um, I think the average kid that raced in Europe did maybe 30 or 40 days of testing and we did maybe eight. So we had the least amount of testing on anybody. Um, we, you know, I mean, we don't prepare the race as well as, well as anybody else and we know that and I don't mind. 
because he needs to perform like that. And he, you know, when he performs, he makes the finals, he's there, he's always close, so it's good. I mean, yes, if we went and did the test and the other race and the other test, would the result be better? Yeah. But you look at today, for example, the guys in GP3, they'd run, I'm, I'm first, you know, helping uh, De Francesco, and he runs seven laps of practice at speed, and he ran four laps of qualifying. That was the whole weekend. Next, you got green flag. So how do you, where are the other 15 days of testing? But look, so is, is Sebas gonna, he's 13 now. Yeah. And is, is the goal Formula One? He wants to. I think he's really, really good. I think um, he's very good. His racecraft is really good. And his feedback is really, really good. Like, he can describe what the car is doing like as good as anybody. It's pretty shocking, to be honest. I think it sounds like you need to introduce him to your old mate, Helmut Marco. He needs to get on the Red Bull Young Driver program. I don't know. Have you introduced him to anyone in the paddock? Um, we went to a race a couple of years ago, but not really, no. Yeah, I mean, that's are you a good racing now? Are you a pushy racing band? What do you mean pushing? Which one? No, are you a good racing band? Or are you, are yeah, you reliving your career through your son? No. 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 no, no, no. He needs to do his own stuff. I, you know, I mean, I, I think it's very different when you haven't raced for a living than when you race for a living. It, mm. I think the approach is a little different. Do I get mad at him? Yes. But I don't get mad at him without like a good reason and a good explanation why mm. behind it. You know what I mean? And it's tough because, like, I'll tell you, you screw up. You screw up. Yeah, but, you know what I mean? Look, you did this, 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 and that. And look, it's there. You know what I mean? So we're working a lot on executing the races better. We're working on, and it's improved a lot. You know, just preparing better for the races. And, and that's it. You know, we, we're moving well, look, we look forward to seeing him here in Formula One. So, JPM, in conclusion, just how do you reflect on your six years? It was good. It was good. It had up and downs. I enjoyed it. Um, you know what I mean? It was fun. Um, and that was it. You know what I mean? It wasn't... I was comfortable leaving when I left. You think? I was. I wasn't... It wasn't really uh, six months into NASCAR going... Oh, why did I do this? Why did I not? It was never even talked about, was it? But did you not think in 2007, oh, that car, that McLaren is winning races? No, because I wasn't going to be there. Okay. And ifs and buts don't count. No, they don't. It is a ruthless sport like that, isn't it? Yeah. No, but it's good. You know what I mean? I made a ton of friends. And you can see it today, like when I walked through the paddock, you know, everybody's still, I was different. I guess that's why I wasn't here long enough, because I was different. And I guess I didn't fit in. <laughs> you did fit in and it was spectacular it was always spectacular with you yes it was a spectacular I think one of the hardest I think the media was really for me it was tough because uh, you know I, was, I think the British media was really tough on me as we spoke with the Jensen thing and the culture thing and then the German th media never liked me either because I was beating Michael and Ralph so I was like and did honestly, you feel quite isolated in that respect oh yeah I was always the bad guy I was always the asshole I, I was and I was okay with it. So, yeah, I mean, when I left, there was nothing. Yeah, I mean, I think the only person that always anybody texted me was you. Anybody else? But how much would you like to just drive one now? One of these cars now, just to see what they're like. Huh? Do you miss the performance? No, I'll tell you. Actually, like what I drive today, I really enjoy what I drive today because... 
which is a Penske sports car. Yeah, right? it's uh, an Acura. It's, uh, it's similar to an LMP2 with a better aero kit and a better engine. Uh, it's a twin turbo. It's actually pretty nice. And, and the feeling is the closest feeling to the Williams. They offer Williams. Like that tons of grip in the middle corner. Like you can break as late as you want. You know, like attack. And I didn't I tell you that. Yeah, I did. I told Connie that. It's like when I drove it, I loved the car and I'd really enjoy it. And, and I'm happy. And that 04 Williams was the car. If you'd had that 04 Williams. I have it in my house. Oh, in my warehouse. I don't have an engine because BMW didn't want to give me an engine. Well, how did you get that car out of Frank? I paid for it. Oh, <laughs> but of course, that, and of course, you won your last race. And it's that car. It's, it's the that Brazil car. car. Right. Do you any yeah. regrets, actually, just about the McLaren thing? Do you feel with hindsight you could have done things differently? The, the yeah, I think a few things. You can always do things different in hindsight. Um, I mean, it didn't get off to a great start, did it? No. With the, 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 with what the, was it? Yeah, what broken was it? shoulder the, and all that. But even after, you know, I made a huge... Was that bike or tennis? It wasn't a bike. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, that's what everybody wants to hear. No? Yes, it is. Exactly. Yeah. So whatever they want to hear, I don't care. Um, but if that hadn't happened... I think it would have been the same. You? Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it would have been a little different, but I think the end result would have been the same. It's just, there was never... It's like, maybe in 15 more years we'll talk and I'll tell you all the stories because in 15 more years I won't care. There are still... <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of stories. You probably heard them already, but... Yeah, okay. All right. We can't say that here. So many little nuggets from Juan Pablo there, not least the one he slipped in at the end about how he hurt his shoulder at the start of 2005. He fell off a motorbike and didn't hurt it while playing tennis, as we were all led to believe at the time. For all the bravado though, his is a story of great perseverance. Colombia isn't renowned for its racing pedigree, yet Juan Pablo overcame the odds and made it to Formula One. He painted a very graphic picture of how tough it was during the early stages of his career when he was stuck in Salzburg with Helmut Marko and without any money. Thanks for the insights, Juan Pablo. It was great catching up. And I look forward to a time when your son Sebas is in Formula One and we get to see more of you around the paddock. Well, that's it for this week. But of course, we'll be back soon with another F1 superstar. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Beyond the Grid. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And please keep getting in touch because we love your feedback. Use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid and you can tweet me at Tom Clarkson F1. Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time, keep it flat out.